Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, ESPN play-by-play announcer and voice of the Arizona Cardinals. Our guest today is Vance Joseph in his third year as the defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals after two years as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Coming up, I'll ask Vance about his secondary. Did he see Marco Wilson being this good as a rookie? What about Byron Murphy? and him bursting onto the scene here in 2021. We'll discuss the growth of Isaiah Simmons and where Zabin Collins is at and his development. Also Chandler Jones, the new Cardinals all-time sack leader. Where does he rank among the players that Vance Joseph has been around? And will Vance be a head coach again in 2022? All that and more coming up. We are brought to you by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free and up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, for updates on upcoming guests on the Dave Pash Podcast, as well as highlights from previous guests. Now here's today's guest, Cardinals defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. So Vance, before we get too deep into the details, I definitely want to do that. Right. Give me an overall sense of how you would assess how your defense is playing this year. Well, thus far, I think we've been solid. You know, um, obviously the numbers that we're concerned about is points allowed. I think right now with the defense on the field, it's about 15-5, you know, and that's, that's pretty good, you know, in this day and age with, with uh, NFL football. You know, everyone's giving up points, everyone's scoring points. So our, our entire offseason and our entire camp and our entire goals is to keep the points, you know, low. You know, that's, that's, that's winning football, you know, and uh, right now that's happening. It's not perfect. You know, every, every week we're growing. We got a bunch of young guys playing, so um, – it's always a work in progress when it comes to that. But as far as the overall product, it's, it's decent right now. I'm curious how, how you would assess what the strength of your defense is. To me, watching it kind of from a bird's eye view in the booth, it, it seems like your secondary is certainly a big part of that. The thing about that is, like, I didn't see Marco Wilson <laughs> right. coming Right. Byron Murphy even making the steps that he did. Did you sure. see those things coming? And and if so, when did you see it coming? I saw Murphy coming. Um, this spring he was different. His body was different. His mindset was different. So I saw that progress. Obviously, he played a lot of football as a young guy, and he had some hard downs, you know, but he learned from it. And to have a young corner that plays inside and outside, that's that's hard to find. And, and right now he's mastering that. You know, and that that obviously makes his value, you know, huge. It makes our defense better. With Marco Wilson, I wasn't sure. You know, we watched the tape obviously in college, and when you research his background, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, he was a, he was a big time player in high school. He was teammates with Pat Sertan, uh, the kid from Cleveland, uh, Swartz. So I mean, he's he's been around good players his entire life, and and I mean, he's 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 been a good player. He was a freshman starter at Florida, you know, for three years. So that. That takes talent, you know, to walk in that conference and to play as a freshman versus all of those Alabama first-round picks. So when he's playing against these NFL guys, he's never overwhelmed because he's played against them already, you know. And when you track his background, you shouldn't be surprised, but drafting him in the fourth round, obviously having a, a day-one starter at corner, that's, 
that that's impressive by Steve and his staff to find a guy who can play that early, you know, with the uh, football IQ and the uh, courage and the confidence to play at a high level and overcome bad plays. You know, he's done all those things, so it's been fun to watch him grow. What about your, your young linebackers? It's been fun to see the growth of Isaiah Simmons. Sure. Is that something that, you know, last year with no preseason games, how much of a killer was that for him? And when do you feel like he finally got comfortable with what he right. was seeing? That was awful for Isaiah. I mean, he had no offseason and no training camp. You know, so the first time he, he even met with us in person was in, in training camp, you know. And the uh, – Having no games, that was that was hard for him because in college he he wasn't a screw down linebacker. I mean he was he was more of a hybrid safety outside backer type. You yeah. know, so it, when he came to us, he was he was playing more close to the box and playing more linebacker stuff, and that takes time. You know, and I think about week eight or nine, you can see the growth with Isaiah. You know, he got comfortable, started making plays, and kept the package really small for him. And now, man, I mean he's getting better and better each week. He is still a young player. You know, I mean, he's 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 in his second year, but again, missing that time in off season and training camp in those games, he's still a young player. So hopefully, he can keep growing, man, with his physical tools and his football IQ. I mean, he can be something different yeah. that the league has never seen. You know, and he's he wants to be that. He's working hard every single day, and he can do a, a lot of things for your defense as far as covering tight ends, uh, sitting the edges outside backer. You know, closing the middle as a middle safety, blitzing. You know, playing in space. I mean, so his his skill set can be it's it's unique, and he can be a different type of player, you know, that we've never seen in this league, you know. And as far as uh, Zavin, you know, Zavin's in the same boat, you know. He's he's trying to figure out Mike Backer, sure. you know. That's that's being a quarterback of, you know, of the entire defense, and that takes time, you know. And he's he's working at it, and um, he's getting better and better each week. He's nicked up right now. That that. That's hurt Zavin as far as missing practice time, but as far as the person and the player, he's going to be fine. What is it about a player like Jordan Hicks when you're a defensive coordinator that there's a comfort there for you, I assume, sure. when you've got somebody that knows what he's doing and knows what other guys are doing? You know, wh Where does that factor in in terms right. of like what you're looking at in terms of playing time and reps? Absolutely. I mean, he is, he is my game manager. You know, I mean – you have to have a player on the field that sees the game like you, you know, who can make all the audibles and make all the checks and help a lot of guys get lined up. And that comes with experience, you know, and Jordan's been with us now for three seasons. And, uh, I mean, he's played, he's played over probably, you know, 2,000 reps in his defense, you know, so he understands the defense. And weekly in the NFL now, the games become so complicated. These offenses, I mean, every week they change, they evolve weekly, and you have to have a guy who can – who can unwind the formations, who can unwind the checks. Because if you if if you can't adjust on game day, you know, from the huddle, it's gonna be hard to play great defense, you know. But having having Hicksy, who understands the concepts, he can he can help us adjust, you know, play play by play, and that's so important, you know, doing his yeah. NFL right now. You were talking about how offenses adjust and how complex they are. I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you heard what Kyle Shanahan said after the game. He said he was shocked. <laughs> at what happened because right. he thought they had such a great week of practice. Sure. And obviously you guys messed with their heads. I mean, they couldn't do much mm -hmm. offensively. They had two really big plays, and both big plays, they fumbled the ball. Sure. So what did you guys do to them to kind of get them off schedule? I think every every week, you know, we have a plan to take away what the offense does best. You know, and obviously Shanahan and, and the Niners are a run-first offense. You know, we thought if we can just kill the run game and force them to throw the ball, you know, more often than he wanted to – it can it can 
It can lead to takeaways and sacks and those things. And I warned the staff. I said, listen, guys, you know, we're going to be in this heavy package early, and uh, he's going to throw the football. And he may make some plays, you know, but let's stay with it. You know, let's, let's make them do what they're not good at doing, and that's throwing the ball 30, 40-plus times. You know, and, and it worked out for us. And some, sometimes it didn't look pretty. They made some plays in the pass game, but we knew if we stuck to it that we could make some plays and, and uh, you know, take the ball away and sack the quarterback a, a bunch of times, and that's what happened. But I think every, every game we have a plan to obviously take away what the offense does best. You know, like Green Bay, they ran the ball some, but the plan that night wasn't to make Aaron Rodgers one-dimensional and, and, and pass every down. You know, <laughs> right. so yeah. every, every, every game is yeah. so different, yeah. you know, and obviously with an Aaron Rodgers type or a Tom Brady type, it's a, it's a cat-and-mouse game to absorb some runs, you know, and, and kind of, you know, win some first downs with Shell and some tricks and, and put him in second and long, you know, but obviously, you know, uh, Sunday it's different different plan. It was stop the run first at, at any cost and make them throw, and it worked out for us. But, you know, that, that in my opinion, is what our defense has done well all year. You know, every, every game with our staff and myself, you know, have, having a plan to, to go into the game and to take away what they do best. You know, week one, Tennessee, it was run first, you know, and our, our plan was set that way. We go to Cleveland, it was run first. Our plan was, was set that way. So we've had three games where we face run first offenses and – so far, it's worked out, and that was Tennessee, and that was Cleveland, and that was San Fran on uh, on Sunday. So you talked about the cat and mouse game. I think it's so interesting because so I do a college game every week for right. ESPN ABC. Uh, we got Notre Dame, Virginia this week. You got two veteran quarterbacks, but I still feel like in college it's coach versus coach. How much in the NFL is it coach versus quarterback? Meaning it's cat and mouse between you and Aaron Rodgers, or you and Tom Brady, or you and this week Sam Darnold. Now maybe. With younger quarterbacks, it's more coach on coach. But how much is it like you're trying – Aaron Rodgers is trying to think about what you're going to do based sure. on your tendencies when he knows you and watching you, and you're trying to figure out kind of exactly, you know, how their offense goes based on their quarterback. Absolutely. I think that's huge on Sundays. It's, it's, it's always the QB versus the coach, you know, because the next move and to dictate, you know, playing defense in this, in, in this league, you have to uh, make them one-dimensional either way. You know, and the best defense over time has have always dictated to the offense. If you don't dictate to the offense, I mean, you can't get them stopped. Yeah. You know, so you know, you, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, those guys. I mean, you have you have to take something away, you know, to make them one dimensional. Either way, running or passing the football. If you don't, you know, if you're just trying to play formations and playing plays, man, you can't survive. It's it's too many concepts. It's too many plays to practice and to uh, you know to to defend. You know, but the the cat and mouse game from the coach to the quarterback and obviously the players performing and, uh, you know, putting the plan in place, you know, pre, pre-snap looks, post-snap looks, that's so critical. You know, with Aaron Rodgers, our, our plan was to obviously give him a pre-snap look and when the ball snapped, change the look. And it worked a couple times. You know, obviously we had some run game issues with more tackling than anything, but, but um, the plan was solid. We just didn't tackle well enough. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, we had some uh, short fields there and, they made some plays, but um, it's always that game on Sundays. And you know, um, my first in the league with Mike Nolan. I mean, he was he was really a bright guy. He came out of Baltimore with those guys, with Ray Lewis and those guys, and and he would always talk about playing the quarterback. You know, not not worrying about the big time receiver or the big time back. It was always the plan was for the quarterback, 
and 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 the receivers were excess, the backs were excess, but the plan that's where it started. You know, how how do you make the quarterback flinch? You know, how do you uh, blind the quarterback with layers of coverage? That was always his uh, first call of duty in game plan meetings, and that's right because that guy is so important to you know winning and losing games. If you don't take care of the quarterback, man, you can't win in this league from from a defensive perspective. So with that said, on game day, how much – obviously you have a plan and you're talking with your other coaches, but how much are you adjusting on the fly? How much is it feel based on how you – when you look at a certain situation? Sure. You know, it, it, And I don't know if it's the same for every D coordinator or is it different? Some guys go strictly by feel. Right. I mean, I know like it's a different level. Mike Leach, there's no playbook. It's just all <laughs> right, in his head. Right, right. I'm not saying you're doing that. I've but how much, how much of what you do is, okay, you know, and I had the plan going in. It's not working well. I'm going to change it right now, or maybe I'll change it for a little bit and see if this works. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's fair. I mean, you have a plan to go into the game, and obviously the first 15 plays for the offense, that's usually their best plays. You know, if the plan's working then, you have a good plan. You're good. You know, yeah. if it's not if it's not working, you have to adjust quickly. Yeah. You know I mean, you can't wait to have time to make adjustments and you're down by three scores. And that's one thing our staff, man, has done a great job with is making adjustments, especially at halftime. I think the second half, um, as far as our numbers, they get better in the second half as far as yardage and points. You know, and that's that's having a great staff. That's having a lot of players who understand, you know, our scheme so we can adjust on the fly without practicing certain things. But you have to be able to adjust. You know, especially if it's not working. You know, that that Minnesota game that forced us to adjust. The first, the first quarter and a half, man. I mean, they were ripping us in a run game and the plexing pass was was not being uh, stopped. And we got to halftime and it and, and and turned it right. I mean, they rushed for like 35 yards in the second half and scored three points. You know, so uh, this league is a it's a league of adjusting. If you don't adjust, you know, to that guy having a great plan, man, you can't you can't obviously finish games. So it's uh you know some of it's feel on the run. But once you figure out what's hurting you, you have to have answers in your plan to get it stopped immediately. If you don't, you can't win. Chandler Jones just became the all-time sack leader in Cardinals history. Where does he rank? I mean, you've coached great players. You've seen great players. You were in the NFL as a player for a couple years. So, I mean, you've been around great players for 25 years in this league. Where does he rank? I'm not saying you have to list him number one or number five, but is he up there among the best that you've ever coached or ever seen at this level? Absolutely. As a pass rusher, I mean, Chan's unique. You know, and uh, when you you watch Chan play, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different style of pass rushing. It's a it's a it's a tall, long guy with 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 uh, jinky and kind of funny movements, you know, that works on guys. But it's a plan to it. I mean, and he studies pass rushing, and um, you know, it's it's not hope. It's a it's a plan, and he works his moves. He he takes the opponents, you know, weekly and spends hours and hours on watching tackle sets, you know. So he has a plan to go in the game with, and you can't be great at something in this league if you're not working at it. You know, it's the the physical tools obviously help you, you know. But most of the great players, man, they have they have a great plan going into games, and and uh, he's no different. I mean, uh, you know, if you get him one on one with most NFL tackles, he's going to win his share, and that's what he's good at, you know. And uh, as far as rushers, I've co- I've coached Von Miller, I've coached Cameron Wake, all those guys, and I've been around D. Ware. I mean, he is he is up there with those guys because he can win one on ones consistently. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a plan for Chandler Jones, he can he can wreck your game. And that's what most great players do. They wreck the game if you don't account for those guys, and he can do those things. We've seen now two clear examples of how well the operation is running for you guys, Cleveland, and then last week where you're down coaches. 
I mean, it's never happened before. Now with right. COVID, <laughs> there's coaches who aren't there. You obviously were the interim coach for the Cleveland game, and then you know Jeff Rogers isn't available for this game. I know that impacts everybody. So I guess my question is, the dynamic must be really good on the staff. What's it like between you and Cliff? How involved is he in what you guys are doing, and how much are you talking on game right, day? Right. We talk constantly. You know, I've, during the week, you know, him and I talk about you know how to win a game together. You know, and and every week it's different. You know, we all have weeks where the pressure falls on one side of the ball, you know, or even on Jeff. You know, so we have meetings on Thursday, Fridays, and just just talk about how to win this game. You know, and you know if I have to, you know, you know play fast to the to give him more possessions. You know, and that's that's obviously a big deal. You know, if our offense is scoring thirty points a game. You know, so if I can't get him off the field quickly, that kills our offense. You know, so we have a plan sometimes. Hey, man, if I'm not getting him stopped quicker, quick, quickly, I'm going to get aggressive. You know, so he's going to score fast. <laughs> I'm getting it back fast. You know, right. but those things you got to talk about. You know, when we first came here, you know, I would I would always go to coach and say, look, man, I mean, this offense you're running, I mean, it's it is fast pace. You know, so for me to you know play to our strengths and play to your strengths in offense, you know, I got to match that. You know, so I'm going I'm to be up-tempo, fast-paced defense also. And, again, you know, my goal is to obviously, you know, have three and outs, you know, or take the ball away. If they're going to score, they're going to score quickly, right, and, and get you and Kyle the ball back quicker, you know, quickly enough to have more possessions. You know, I don't, I don't want to go on 15, you know, 15, 20 play drives. You know, that happened against Cleveland, uh, against Green Bay. We had two drives where it was too long, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, not tackling and, and, and uh, not winning third downs. That kills our offense, you know, so – just just knowing how you know how this team's constructed and how we win, you know, uh affects everyone. You know, so with with thirty points being scored a game, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it aggressive. You know, I'm gonna take the ball away for Cliff. And if it's getting too long, you know, I'm gonna open a well and blitz because now, you know, hey, if if he's gonna score, let him score in six plays, not in twelve. You know, let's get get the ball back to Cliff so he can score sure. more points and we can win games together. So that's always being talked about in the building. Have you noticed the difference at all in Cliff's personality coming out more? I bring that up because <laughs> I think I, I think I know the answer. But I had uh, you know I, I've known Cliff for a while, doing sure. co- going back to when he was even at Houston, doing some of the games, and then when Manziel was at A and M. And I had two Texas Tech games re- recently. Cliff doesn't want to talk to me because they were against Texas and Oklahoma, and they <laughs> right. got smoked in both games. But it was interesting. A lot of the folks at Texas Tech were saying because I said, you know, Cliff's got an edge this year. Sure. His personalities really come out. And the Texas Tech people were saying that's how Cliff was here. Mm-hmm. That maybe it just was you know adjusting to the NFL, sure. not sure. overstepping your bounds, kind of pl- you know feeling things out. Have you noticed a difference this year in Cliff? Well, you know, he's always had a, a swagger and an edge to him, you know. But it's you know it's it's good to win and it's good to see your work, you know, come you know you know it'll come to the forefront and it's working, you know, and that that gives you confidence, you know. And um, I think most young coaches come in this league as 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 head coaches, especially, and you have to you know you have to change who you are. You don't have to change who you are. You know, I mean, you can you can be yourself and still be a great NFL coach. It's been proven over the years. And Rex Ryan and Mike Tomlin, I mean, they got huge personalities. Sean McVay, you know, so you can be yourself and still do a good job and, uh, you know, be excited on the sideline and, and uh, you know, simply, you know, and, and enjoy the game, you know, and uh, not have to be this, this stoic, you know, straight-up, buttoned-up guy on the sideline. And that's not football, you know. So I, it, it's, it's fun to watch him be himself. You know, it's fun to – you know, watch his team win and, you know, win through all kind of adversity, you know. So it's, uh, 
it's it's been three years in the works you know, and i would always tell cliff i said man one day it's going to be the greatest job they've ever seen you know we just got to hang in there and keep coaching these guys and it takes time in this league to to flip it you know and it's it's fun to watch our young guys play so well it's fun to watch collar in the offense you know uh you know score so many points each week so you know what we talked about three years ago is finally happening and uh you know obviously it's it, it's it's hard to stay here but it's also fun to watch it happen man and Hopefully it uh, gets better and better. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I've said many times that, you know, I think Michael Bidwill deserves credit for being patient. Sure. And a lot of owners aren't patient. They were not patient with you in, in no. Denver. They didn't give you time. You got two years. Right. And, you know, I'm curious as you look back on that experience because I think if things keep going well, you're going to have another chance. I hope you do. You deserve it. I, I believe you deserve another chance to be a head coach. So what did you learn from that experience mm-hmm that you think has helped you so that when the next one comes around, you'll be right. I don't know, better prepared, sure, but sure. have a better chance at success and, and staying there longer. I think in this league, obviously, you know, it's going to be four to five, six jobs a year because the demand for winning is, is uh, obviously, you know, high, you know, and the time they used to give you to flip teams is, is gone, you know. So, you know, you, you, you have three years probably max to make huge improvement to show the owner that you're heading in the right direction, you know. And uh, I think the Denver experiences just taught me a couple things about, you know, um, obviously as a head coach, you know, being involved with everything and trying to fix it all, you know, so you can survive and have time to fix it. You know, if you don't make enough progress in in, in and, and your second year, especially in all three phases, you know, you won't have time to fix it, you know. And I think, uh, you know, as a, as a guy who's gone, gone through that, and now, now you understand that you have to figure out how to fix it, especially in the off season, right? And when it's, when it's player picking season and, and having a quarterback and having those pieces that, that you need to flip your team and to improve, you got to get it done, right? You have to get it done. And, you know, once once you have your team set and you're moving forward and you don't have those pieces, man, it's impossible in this league to improve and to move on and to try to find an a identity with your team if you don't have a quarterback right. you know, or offensive line. So the player picking season is so critical, you know, to you changing the culture because you won't change the culture without winning. You know, you can you can be a great coach. And you can preach the right things and coach the right things, man. But if you can't win and have a winning product, it's hard to convince anyone around you, the city, the owner, the players, the, the building, that you're the right guy if you're not winning. You know, and it's been a number of great head coaches that on their first chances, it didn't work. You know, and it's a it's a player's league. It really is. And you have to have the right pieces first to to have a chance to coach and to build culture and, and, and build a winning culture, you know, and I – and uh, I think as a young head coach, you come in and you think, boy, you know, I'm with, I'm with these experienced GMs and experienced scouts. But you have to have a voice in the players. You have to have a voice in what you need for your systems to work. You know, and when you're a young head coach and it's your first time, you kind of defer some of those things because you don't want to like, over, you know, I mean, that's the GM, that's his job, yeah. that's the scout's job. But really it falls back on you, you know, so you have to have a voice. In the, in, the, in the player picking season to have a chance to improve enough to keep your job so you can fix it. And we all know it's ultimately about the quarterback. Absolutely. It's about your best players at your best position. I work with Jeff Van Gundy on NBA games. Last year we were stuck doing games from our houses. Mm-hmm. So we had like 
a backdrop behind us of books and things on our shelves, and Jeff has this huge picture of Patrick Ewing. Right. And I asked him, <laughs> so why? And he, he, he would always say, Patrick Ewing built my house. Like, yes. I have this house because mm-hmm. of Patrick Ewing. Not because of how good a coach I was, That's but right. because of Patrick Ewing. That's right. So as you, you know, down the road get opportunities, do you feel like you're in a position where you can be picky? Because you don't want to just take a job mm-hmm. if there's not a quarterback in place sure. or, like you said, if player picking season has not gone well for That's that right. organization. Right. Absolutely. You know, I'm to the point in my life where I'm, I'm, I'm pretty set, you know, as, as far as, uh, you know, my job here. I love living here. My family loves living here. I have a son who's a freshman at Brophy, you know, and, you know, you know, I would like him to finish high school at one school. My daughter Natalie went to three high schools, mm. you know, but it took that to uh, obviously get me the Denver job and moving and having success and moving on and moving on. And obviously, um, you know, for her, that wasn't a great experience in high school, but she's, she's fine for it. She's at USC as a junior in uh, journalism, and she's a steady kid, and she's, she's bright and smart, and she can adjust. But um, I have a great job here, you know, so I'm not going to jump at the first opportunity if it happens to take a, you know, uh, a job that I can't see myself fixing it quick enough to sure. keep it. Sure, You know, my goal wasn't to be a head coach. It was to be, co- to be a coach for a long time. You yeah. know, and sometimes, again, young guys, I mean, you get the job, and once you get it and it gets hard, man, well, you know, I've been a head coach. I'm done. That's not my goal. You know, my goal is to be a head coach for a long time. You know, so the next job I take, if I have a chance to take one, it's got to be the right job. And, and um, you know, I, I think that's, that's, that's the way I should be thinking, you know, being my second chance because, you know, if you get two chances, man, that's it. You know, you won't sure. get three probably. So my next one's got to be the right one. And uh, I was reading something about Pete Carroll uh, about three weeks ago, and he mentioned uh, Russell. He goes, you know, you know, Russell, Russell has kept me in his job for a long time, you know. And when you have a guy like Russell or Kyler, man, I mean, you can really have a vision and a build around those guys. That piece, that piece is so important to football teams, right? If you don't have that piece, it's it's tough to have a vision for a football team without that one piece yep. because you're always searching for that piece and you're always gambling and sacrificing and using resources that you shouldn't be using to try to find that piece. And if you don't find it, man, it doesn't happen. I mean, you go back on every every uh, team that's won a big game. It's been very few who, you know, who didn't have a franchise quarterback. No it's been done before. Right. It's been done before, right? It's rare. The, the Ravens did it with the great defense. I yep. think Tampa did it with Brad Johnson, who was a good good quarterback. Yeah. But it's it's rare, especially in this NFL. So different with the rules and the points being scored. No question. That that spot has to be you know, has to be filled, and um, that's the only way, in my opinion, you can have a vision for a team if. If if that quarterback spot is the right guy, and you can simply build around it and have time and resources to fix it around that guy, if not, it's a, it's an uphill battle. Last couple, because I know you got to run. Sure. I'm curious about when you got the coaching bug because you were a player and you sure. played in the NFL for a couple years. When did it start, and then who were some of your influences along the way? That's an awesome question, man. I was you know I only played about two and a half two and a half years on paper, and I. Uh, Gary Burnett was my quarterback coach in college, and he was at uh, Northwestern doing a great job, and he took the uh, Colorado job. He was back in town in Boulder, and I was living in Denver. Uh, The Broncos just released me, and I was just doing uh, some sports insurance work out of New York, just trying to find my second career, you know, and I didn't want to coach because, you know, when, when, when players are done playing and it's not, you know, on your terms, you kind of like, you know, this coaching, this football, I'm done for a while. Sure. I need a break from football. But he called me up. He said, hey, you know, uh, when I coached you, you know, you had a coaching bug to you. 
And I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, just come down and spend a day with us on a Saturday, you know, during spring ball and see if you like it or not. So I went down and you know, hung with Coach for a day. And, and uh, you know, it, that feeling came back again, you know, just just, just the young guys running around and the, the game of football and watching guys practice and learn and watching guys teach. Man, that bug came back. And I went uh, into that spring as a GA, you know, with Coach at Colorado. And I GA'd for a year and a half and, and uh, got a full-time job with Wyoming for a spring and went back to Colorado as a secondary coach for like three seasons. So that's where I started. And it was all Coach Barnett just uh, getting me back into football because he saw something in me as a player that I would be a great coach. And uh, it worked out. And from there, I spent, uh, you know, most of my NFL career with uh, San Fran with Mike Nolan, who was a hell of a hell of a head coach, man, hell of a head coach with uh, Mike Singletary also, you know, who was uh, obviously a great leader and a great player in this league for a long time. So between uh, Gary Burnett and Mike Nolan, um, Mike Singletary, uh, Billy Davis was my coordinator in, uh, in San Fran, uh, Greg Minuski, leaving those guys and going with Wade Phillips. That was that was obviously a great move for me and a great experience to be around Wade for four years. I mean, he is, he is a mastermind that's never had a bad day in life. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if we're down by 50 or by 50. I mean, he is still the same guy, and that's that's uh, that's one guy that I kind of, you know, kind of, you know, take my coaching approach from that, you know, just just fix it. You know, I mean, he would he would always say, you know, it's it's plenty of problem pointers. You know, let's be problem solvers. And he was right about that. That's coaching, right? Yeah. I mean, anyone can see the issue, but let's let's solve the problem. And, and he was so good with players. Players loved playing for him because he kept their lives simple. He was fair. He was honest. He kept their lives simple. And you know, on a, on a daily basis, this guy never had a bad day. And that was, you know, you know, players and coaches love working with Wade because he was exactly the same every single day. And uh, leaving Wade, I went with Marvin Lewis. You know, who was in Cincy for his 14th season when I joined him. So, just learning about longevity and how to build a program, and 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 to kind of hang in there when when bad times are happening, and to get to that 13, 14 season, that was that was obviously a great experience being with Marvin and his staff in Cincy, and from there uh, going with Adam Gase in Miami as a young head coach and watching him go through the ups and downs, and it, it's it's all it's all one book, you know, and it obviously helps you navigate this league, which is a which is an awesome league. It's an awesome job, but it does have some some hard parts to it that you have to navigate to uh, stay alive in it. Well, it's all led you here, and um, we got to let you go, but uh, I'm really grateful for you spending some time, VJ, and I hope uh, for a lot of reasons the Cardinals keep winning, but I also hope that that leads to you being in a position where you can choose whether to continue here or be a head coach again because I think you certainly deserve it. So appreciate the time, man. Thank you, bro. All right. All right. See you soon. Great conversation with Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. He has just some awesome details on Marco Wilson and his development and also Byron Murphy and Isaiah Simmons, two other young guys that have really exploded onto the scene here in 2021. Plus Chandler Jones, who became the all-time sack leader. Vance had some great thoughts on where he ranks among some of the best players Vance has seen or coached, including Von Miller. But the thing that stood out to me the most was Vance talking about the next head coaching opportunity. As a two-year head coach with the Denver Broncos, he did not get a lot of time to build it. And he knows you're probably not going to get a third chance to be a head coach, so you better be patient and selective if and when you get that second opportunity. And I firmly believe 
he is going to have another chance to be a head coach. But he loves Arizona. He loves working for the Cardinals. His family loves Arizona. So he can be selective and patient. There's a chance Vance will be a head coach in 2022 for another team in the National Football League, but there's also a great chance he'll continue to be the Cardinals' defensive coordinator. You can make the case, as well as the Cardinals' offense has played all year, and as much as Kyler Murray is in the thick of the MVP conversation, it's the defense that stands out above everything else as the biggest reason why the Cardinals are where they are and why they are a legit Super Bowl contender. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can also follow us on Twitter, at PashPod. The Cardinals play the Panthers on Sunday, and then we'll talk to you next week on the Dave Pash Podcast.